Welcome to the Sensory Approach to Manual Therapy Podcast. Hi, I want to talk to you guys today about sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems and how they interact with chronic pain and how it is that touch can affect them both positively and negatively. And before we get into the effects of how touch affects it with some research studies that have been done, I want to look first at why the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system become important. And one of the things we want to look at is the you know, basic sympathetic nervous system. Its main function is to mobilize body systems during activity. Uh, this is conscious waking state, but it's also one of the things that is engaged heavily with our fight or flight state. One of the things that our parasympathetic division uh, nervous system has is its function is mainly to conserve energy. So this is when a body at rest. It also promotes a lot of housekeeping functions at rest. So when we sleep, um, it helps regenerate. It helps stimulate stem cell proliferation and can help re, um, uh, stimulate uh, a sense of well-being and recovery from injuries. So one of the problems that we have with sympathetic and parasympathetic states is that when we're dealing with the nervous systems, we can get stuck inside these positive feedback loops. And some of these positive feedback loops are very positive and some are negative. Um, one of the ways that these positive feedback loops affect the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system is, let's say, for example, with a lack of sleep. If I am in so much pain that sleep becomes problematic, it is difficult for me to engage my parasympathetic state, which is where the housekeeping takes place of the body and, and where we help recover from injury. And because I'm not engaging in a parasympathetic state, I'm not recovering as quickly, which means my chronic pain, uh, the injury itself is not recovering, which means I have either a weakness in tissue. Let's say the ligament doesn't heal as quickly or the bone, or let's say I have a muscle strain that isn't healing as quickly. So the, the actual tissue is still weakened. Let's say it's an acute injury or even a chronic injury. Let's say there's, there's still some inflammation occurring and there's still some discomfort around the tissue. So in those scenarios, because my lack of sleep is not allowing my injury to recover or heal um, quickly or effectively, it means that I am more likely to still be creating a system where I'm in pain or more easily replicating the symptoms of pain in my waking hours. Um, so again, I stay in that sympathetic state for a long time. Now, one of the downsides to being stuck in a sympathetic state for an extended period of time is it creates a vigilance, almost a hypervigilance. And when we have this hypervigilance, threat, <clears throat> threat becomes perceived more easily. And so because I'm vigilant to danger or threat, I see it more easily and therefore I'm unable to rest even more. And when I'm in that heightened state, when I'm in that heightened, heightened sympathetic state always, what happens is it's going to lower my threshold for information input or stimulus input before I become overwhelmed because I'm never able to regenerate because I'm never able to housekeep because I'm never able to recover. I'm always in my sympathetic state. And so I become hypersensitive 
to any form of stimulus at a lower threshold level. So traditionally, something, let's say a stimulus of some point input, be it either a movement, an exercise, or let's say a fight with a loved one, or an actual injury, or an actual actual uh, threat to the body, that level of information is decreased, and yet it replicates a response in my system as though it was not decreased, as though it was a significant threat. So my my reaction, my parasympathetic, or sorry, my sympathetic nervous system reaction is one where I am hypersensitive to a lower level of stimulus. And that hypersensitivity can stimulate a process that induces pain through threat perception. And we'll get into the idea of threat perception and pain in another podcast, maybe. Um, or yeah, we will definitely, but it's too much to get into today. Um, but one of the things we know about pain is that it is a perception that occurs in the brain. And so if I perceive something as threatening and I perceive it as painful, it will likely be painful, uh, which is kind of surprising to think about. But there's a lot of good research with that. And we'll get into that into another podcast. But so what that means is I have chronic pain or I start with an acute injury. Let's say I have an ACL injury. And a year later, the surgery is recovered. The ACL, if it hasn't been re-injured, is roughly 80% as strong as a traditional ACL would have been at around 9 to 12 months. So let's say there's no re-injury. I've got a healthy ACL or as healthy as the replacement can be. But I still have a, a chronic knee pain, which is a very common experience, um, something I myself am familiar with and a lot of individuals are familiar with. So they have chronic knee pain from an injury that occurred over a year ago. The actual catalyst for the injury, the ACL, has been repaired and the inflammation around the new ACL, the surgery, has been repaired and yet chronic pain occurs. And our problem as therapists is to determine why. And some people will say it's arthritis, which it may be, in which case that's a different scenario. But if there's no arthritis, which not is not always the case, but there's still quite a bit of chronic pain, we need to look at it as a system that has created a process where pain is perceived at a lower threshold. They had an acute injury, which induced severe amount of pain with trauma. They had a surgery, which induced pain with trauma. They go through their physiotherapy or physical therapy, and they go through their exercise programs. And because they have trauma, they perceive the exercises to be painful, even though they may not be physiologically, structurally damaging tissue. They are being perceived as a threat because the knee feels unstable. There's the actual injury, memories of the injury, emotional or spiritual or physical or mental that come around the actual injury in the surgery. So now the movement, the exercise pattern is creating a hypersensitivity to non-painful behavior that is perceived as a threat, which maintains us in our sympathetic state, which creates a hypersensitivity to a lesser threshold of stimulus that induces the same amount of pain on and on and on and on and on again. And then this becomes to the point where therapy becomes painful or exercise becomes painful and to the point where daily life becomes painful. And now we're stuck in a scenario where our client, their perception of pain is so so um, uh, distorted that every daily behavior 
is perceived as painful from walking up and down stairs to getting in and out of bed, let alone if, if we're asking them to go do exercises. So as therapists, our important role is to not only affect the input of touch on them to show them that touch can be perceived as a non-painful experience, but it's also to explain to them the science of how the sympathetic nervous system has created this scenario and this positive feedback loop. Because once our clients can become more conscientiously aware of this, they actually have an increased opportunity of, of recovery. And this is something called health literacy and in health literacy, it's something like 30% uh, chance of uh, improved benefits when a client or a patient is aware of not only the problem, but the medical procedures to get them out of that problem. And so explaining this concept of a hypersensitive, overstimulated sympathetic nervous system becomes really important to dealing with our patient's chronic pain. And the benefits of manual therapy and one of the ways that we can affect them here is um, really interesting because there were some great research papers done by the Hayes Institute uh, group in Switzerland that looked at the effects of proximal to distal touch with moderate pressure and light pressure versus the effects of distal to proximal touch with moderate to light pressure on the brain of uh, children. And this was um, pediatric care, uh, sorry, pediatric uh, chemo care, where the children were going through chemo radiation under six months old. And because they were under six months, they didn't have an immune system. They're going through radiation, so they're immune compromised. And so nobody was necessarily allowed interacting with the children too much. And if the parents interacted with them too much, they were worried about um, getting sick. And so what they found was the children would get hyper stimulated when the parents would interact with them because they were so engaged with the idea of being touched by their parents and smelling their parents. And so what they had to do was they had to limit how much the parents could touch the children. And so they limited the touch to 15 minute episodes per day for the children. And they found through um, some studies that if they were, if the parent was to stroke the children's skin from proximal to distal, it engaged a calming and soothing effect, engaging the parasympathetic system. But if they stroked the same skin from distal to proximal, it engaged the sympathetic system and woke up the children up. And because the children were going through so much intensive care, they really needed to stay as calm as possible. And so this is one of the ways where massage and manual therapy can have a positive effect potentially in that if someone's in there with chronic pain and they're hypersensitive to touch, Perhaps using more strokes that go from proximal to distal will calm that system down. Perhaps this is an opinion. There's no, there haven't been studies on that aspect of it. Um, but it's an interesting theory. And on the flip side, patients who have atrophy or, or clients who have lethargy or depression, perhaps waking the system up would mean approximating all that tissue and bringing it towards the proximal, um, the central spinal, the central spine. So, or sorry, not the central spine, the central nervous system. So it's just something to think about. I, I really go into a lot of detail in my classes around the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. I actually think it's likely the most important system that massage therapists are engaging with, uh, the parasympathetic and sympathetic. And it's likely the least thought of. And yet I think it's, it's probably one of the systems we're affecting the most. Patients are falling asleep on the table or staying awake. 
things like that. Uh, when most patients and clients complain about chronic pain, they're usually slipping in between that state of sympathetic and chronic or and parasympathetic between sleep and wakefulness, things like that, or high activity and low activity. So it's, it's something that I think is really important. I don't think it's spoken about enough, and I think we need to discuss it more. So I, I'm excited to hear comments and feedback on this. I do want to hear both positive and negative. I want to hear you know what you guys think about using the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems as our gateway to address tissue um, concerns around chronic pain. Thanks a lot for coming today. I hope you guys had a great day, and I'll talk to you uh, at my next podcast. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all.